Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 64 of the North American Outdoors Podcast. My name is Heidi Rayo, and I'm coming to you from the great state of Texas. Today we're going to talk about fish and aquatic conservation and things that get in the way of the resource that we all love. We're going to explore aquatic invasive species. It's important to protect the health of our fish, our waterways, and our infrastructure. Invasive species cause tremendous harm to our environment, our economy, and our health. They can drive out and eat native plants, wildlife, they spread diseases, and they damage our infrastructure. Invasive species are a primary cause of global biodiversity loss. They threaten nearly half of the imperiled species in the United States and have contributed to more than 40% of the current listings under the Endangered Species Act. So what is an aquatic invasive species? This is any type of plant or animal, such as fish, crab, mussel, or frog, that depends on water for at least one stage of its life. An aquatic invasive species is an aquatic species that has spread or has been introduced beyond its native range and is either causing harm or has the potential to cause harm. These species can spread unintentionally after someone dumps unwanted aquarium contents into a lake or through such everyday activities such as fishing, hunting, or boating. This even applies to people that may have purchased an item for their aquarium and they may have purchased a fish that became too aggressive to the other fish in their aquarium and they may have flushed it down the toilet. They may also have taken it to their local stream, pond, or just pitched it over the bridge. These species have the potential to really do damage to native fish and aquatic habitat if that species wasn't from this area. 
A lot of times they're referred to as exotic, introduced, or the other term is invasive. They can take over a population and usually adapt pretty well to native habitat. Aquatic invasive species are an increasing problem due primarily to increased global trade. So what are we doing to fight the aquatic invasive species? The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service's branch of aquatic invasive species funds and coordinates aquatic invasive species activities across the country. They prevent introductions, detect and respond to new species threats, stop or suppress the spread of existing invasive populations, and they educate the public about threats so the public can help protect America's aquatic species. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has regional coordinators who work closely with the public and they work closely with private sector partners and our fish and wildlife conservation officers who provide research and technical guidance to help. The Fish and Wildlife Service also develops regulations to prohibit the importation and some transport of high-risk species known as injurious wildlife. There's also a branch called the Aquatic Nuisance Species Task Force. They coordinate efforts among federal and state agencies, tribes, regional jurisdictions, and other stakeholders to prevent and control aquatic invasive species in the United States. Injurious wildlife listings began in 1900 and continues to the present under the oldest national invasive species law in the United States. This is known as part of the Lacey Act. Under the Lacey Act, it is unlawful to import, export, sell, acquire, or purchase fish, wildlife, or plants that are taken, possessed, transported, or sold if, number one, in violation of U.S. or Indian law, or two, in interstate or foreign commerce involving any fish, wildlife, or plants taken, possessed, or sold in violation of state or foreign law. When the Lacey Act was passed in 1900, it became the first federal law protecting wildlife. It enforces civil and criminal penalties for the illegal trade of animals and plants. Today, it regulates the import of any species protected by international or domestic law and prevents the spread of invasive or non-native species. Species listed as injurious, often including their viable eggs, may not be imported into the United States or transported between the continental United States the District of Columbia, Hawaii, the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico, or any possession of the United States without a permit issued by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. The penalty for those rule breakers for an Injurious Wildlife Lacey Act violation is up to six months in prison and a $5,000 fine for an individual or a $10,000 fine for an organization committing this crime. Regulation of transport or use within a state is the responsibility of each state. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has broad authority to detain and inspect any international shipment, mail parcel, vehicle, or passenger baggage, and all accompanying documents, whether or not wildlife has been formally declared. 
Their wildlife inspection program provides the nation's frontline defense against illegal wildlife trafficking while facilitating legitimate trade. Wildlife inspectors are located at certain major U.S. airports, ocean ports, and border crossings where they monitor imports and exports to ensure compliance with U.S. laws and regulations. More than 6,500 non-indigenous species are now established in the United States. These are posing risks to native plants, animals, microorganisms, valued ecosystems, and human and wildlife health. In fact, the current annual environmental, economic, and health-related costs of invasive species exceed those of all other natural disasters combined. These non-native species cause more than $100 billion in damage each year to the U.S. economy. Costly effects include crop decimation, clogging of water facilities and waterways, wildlife and human disease transmission, threats to fisheries, increased fire vulnerability, and adverse effects on ranchers and farmers. One example of an aquatic invasive species is the snakehead. Snakeheads are air-breathing freshwater fish that are not native to North America. In scientific terms, snakeheads are divided into two distinct genera. Chana, which are snakeheads of Asia, Malaysia, and Indonesia, and Parachana, which are the African snakeheads. In the summer of 2002, and again in late spring of 2004, the northern snakehead generated national media attention when anglers caught this fish in a pond in Maryland, and more recently in the Potomac River in Maryland and Virginia. Fishery scientists consider snakeheads to be invasive species because they have the potential to threaten native fishes, the recreational fishing industry, and aquatic ecosystems. A mature northern snakehead female can carry as many as 50,000 eggs, although some will not develop and others will be eaten by insects and small fishes following fertilization. Depending on water temperature, eggs can hatch in about 24 to 48 hours. Snakeheads are freshwater fish with little to no tolerance for saltwater. Within their native and introduced ranges, they live in small and large streams, canals, rivers and ponds, reservoirs, and lakes. Many species can tolerate a wide range of pH, and only one species living in Malaysia and parts of Indonesia prefer highly acidic waters. During all of their life stages, snakehead fish compete with native species for food and habitat. A major concern is that snakeheads might outcompete and eventually displace important native or other established predatory fish that share that same habitat. As adults, snakeheads can be voracious predators. According to the U.S. Geological Survey, if you capture a snakehead fish, do not release the fish or throw it upon the bank because it could wriggle back into the water. Remember, this fish is an air breather and can live a long time out of water. They recommend to kill the fish by freezing it or putting it on ice for an extended length of time. 
Take a picture of the fish if you have access to a camera at the time so the species of snakehead can positively be identified. Contact your nearest Fish and Game Agency or the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service as soon as possible to report it. Another invasive species are the Asian carp. Carp are not native to North American waters, but various carp species have been introduced here since the mid-1800s, much to the detriment of native fish. Although carp eradication measures have been active for over 100 years, long-established species like the common carp are present in almost every state. The Asian carp were imported to the United States in the 1970s as a method to control nuisance algae blooms in wastewater treatment plants and aquaculture ponds, as well as for human food. Within 10 years, the carp escaped confinement and spread to the waters of the Mississippi River Basin and other large rivers like the Missouri and Illinois Rivers. Asian carp are in direct competition with native aquatic species for food and habitat. Their rapid population increase is disrupting the ecology and food web of the large rivers of the Midwest. In an area where Asian carp are abundant, they have harmed native fish communities and interfered with commercial and recreational fishing. Experts are extremely concerned about the consequences of Asian carp invading the Great Lakes where the carp would negatively affect the $7 billion a year fishing industry. Another invasive species that you may have heard quite a bit about lately are the zebra mussels. Zebra mussels are an invasive fingernail-sized mollusk that is native to fresh waters in Eurasia. Their name comes from the dark zigzagged stripes on each shell. Zebra mussels probably arrived in the Great Lakes in the 1980s through ballast water that was discharged by large ships from Europe. They have spread rapidly throughout the Great Lakes region and into the large rivers of the eastern Mississippi drainage. They have also been found in Texas, Colorado, Utah, Nevada, California, and other states are finding more and more of these invasive species. Zebra mussels negatively impact ecosystems in many ways. They filter out algae that native species need for food, and they attach to and incapacitate native mussels. Power plants must also spend millions of dollars removing zebra mussels from clogged water intakes. Zebra mussels look like small clams ranging from an eighth of an inch to two inches in length. The shell is the letter D-shaped and white or cream-colored with jagged brown or black stripes. The shell of the zebra mussel is able to open on the hinge edge and allows them to attach to solid objects. Fertilized eggs develop into free-swimming larvae, and these larvae are not visible to the naked eye. They're about the width of a human hair. Within two to three weeks, these settle out in the water under the weight of their forming shells and attach to firm underwater surfaces. Once attached, it takes approximately one year for the muscle to grow one inch and become mature. On average, they live about two to five years. Zebra mussels usually grow in clusters and are generally found in shallow algae-rich water. 
their ability to attach to hard surfaces results from the tuft of fiber located at the hinge of their shell. These threads of fiber produce powerful glue that anchors the muscle in place. Any hard surface is a suitable place for a muscle to live and may include rocks, metal, wood, rubber, fiberglass, or even paper. Zebra mussels may even colonize living organisms such as plants, other mussels, and the bodies of slow-moving animals like turtles. In March of 2021, the U.S. Geological Survey was alerted that zebra mussels were found attached and inside moss balls sold as aquarium plants. Zebra mussels can devastate local ecosystems and infrastructure, and now they found a new way to get there. Aquarium moss balls are not moss, but a green algae that look like moss. They are soft and spongy when filled with water in aquariums and provide habitat for fish, shrimp, and other species. Moss balls are hardy and easy to maintain and are very popular in the aquarium trade. Moss balls can be purchased in every state throughout the nation, small independent retailers, national chains, and in online marketplaces. The moss ball itself is not found to be invasive. It is currently unknown whether contamination of the moss balls is occurring within the supply, distribution, or the retail chain. Additional assessments are needed to understand the origins and the magnitude of this problem. Zebra mussels can damage your tank's filtration system. Zebra mussel larvae can live in the water, in the aquarium substrate, on decorative elements, and in the filter systems. Until they know the extent of the moss ball contamination problem in the United States, they are recommending that recently purchased moss balls be destroyed, the water decontaminated, and your tank cleaned according to the instructions found on the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service website relating to invasive species and the zebra mussels. Zebra mussels are not just a temporary inconvenience. They are here to stay, and we must learn to live with them. According to the National Park Service recommendations, if you are boating anywhere in the waters where assumed zebra mussels live, the first step in prevention of spread is to develop an attitude of concern. Second, they recommend to accept the fact that your activities are a potential means of transportation. And third, adhere to all recommendations as set forth by the natural resource agencies. There are certain actions to follow any time that you're using a boat or other equipment in any body of water. First, you want to remove any visible vegetation from items that were in the water. This includes boats, propellers, trailers, and all other equipment. Next, you want to flush engine cooling systems, live wells, and bilge with hot water. Rinse any other areas that get wet, such as water collected in trailer frames, safety light compartments, boats decking, and the lower portion of motor cooling systems. Water hotter than 110 degrees Fahrenheit will kill the young zebra mussels and 140 degrees Fahrenheit will kill the adults. 
If hot water is not available, use tap water. Do not use salt and chlorine water mixtures as both mixtures are very toxic to other organisms and may also damage your equipment. Next, they recommend to air dry boats and other equipment for five days before using in uninfested waters. If boat and equipment are completely dry for two days, it may be safe to use in uninfested waters. But just remember, zebra mussels may survive up to two weeks out of water. Next, you want to examine your boat's exterior for mussels if it has been docked in infested waters. If mussels are found or exterior is heavily fouled by algae, either clean fouled surfaces or leave the boat out of the water for at least five days before entering it again in uninfested waters. Any mussels scraped off should be bagged and discarded in the trash. If your gear feels gritty, then young microscopic mussels may be attached. Another recommendation is to not reuse bait. You always want to empty your bait bucket on land and never release live bait back into the water. Oftentimes, removal of aquatic invasive species is very difficult and very expensive. Prevention is the best way to stop any aquatic invasive species. This means that you can do your part by fishing and recreating responsibly. The best way to fight the spread of invasive species is to prevent them from occurring in the first place. There are a variety of ways that you can help to do this, whether you're at home or you're traveling on vacation. Do your research, educate yourself, and learn about the area before you go to find out what measures are in place to prevent the further spread of these aquatic invasive species. There is no better classroom than the outdoors, roaming the woods and waters and creating memories that will last a lifetime. This is Heidi Rayo, and you've heard another North American Outdoors podcast. For more information, visit NorthAmericanOutdoors.org and follow me on Instagram at North American Outdoors. Have a great day.